In today's episode, we're going over when should or shouldn't your patients have meniscus surgery. Let's do it. Welcome to the Fitness Pain-Free Show, where I help physical therapists learn how to get their clients out of pain and back to training the gym. My name is Dan Pope, and I'll be your instructor. I'm a physical therapist, coach, and fellow meeter. I love training just as much as you do and want to help you get all of your patients out of pain and back to the gym where they belong. So first and foremost, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support. You truly allow me to do what I love for a living. My name is Dan Pope. I'm a physical therapist. I am a coach. I'm a personal trainer, and I am a meathead. I love lifting weights. I love fitness. It's my favorite thing and my passion in life. This is a fitness pain-free show where we help coaches and physical therapists like you get your patients out of pain and back to training. If you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that like button, leave a comment, and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to the podcast, leave me a positive rating and review. I really appreciate it. If you want to take that extra step and support me further, subscribe to Fitness Pain-Free Insiders. Insiders is a comprehensive educational resource and toolkit for the fitness and rehab professionals. Think Netflix, but for trainers and physical therapists. Honestly, it's a, it's a no-brainer. and It's the next step if you want to take your education with me to the next level. It contains premium content from me. It's similar content to what you'll see in these podcast episodes, but I go more in-depth. It's updated monthly. I've been doing it for over five years right now. There's over 100 webinars, ebooks, and complete guides. You have access to a private Facebook group to chat with me if you'd like, answer all your questions. You can decide upcoming podcast topics. And best of all, you get started for $1. After that, it's $12.99 per month. I just increased it uh, this past year. Uh, but here's the thing you can cancel anytime. So if there's a specific webinar you want to watch, go in there, one buck, watch whatever you'd like, and then you can cancel. That's fine. Uh, hopefully you'll stay, but obviously I won't be upset if you do. All right. Why is the meniscus so important? So let's talk about what the meniscus is and talk a little bit about the relevant anatomy. So what is the meniscus? They are crescent-shaped wedges of fibrocartilage, and they're very important for load transmission and shock absorption. They're also important for joint lubrication, joint stabilization, and proprioception. And here's the thing. They are critical to prevent wear and tear within the joint. And once you have an injury to meniscus, and we'll talk about some of the research on this a bit later, you have a cascade of things occurring that causes more damage within the joint over the course of time. So after you have an injury to the meniscus, all of these things are altered. And there is a feed forward mechanism that occurs. So basically, after you have a little bit of injury to the meniscus, there's decreased ability for the tibiofemoral joint to handle uh, load transmission and shock absorption. There's less lubrication, less stabilization, and less proprioception, which can lead to more damage. And more damage leads to more damage. And you have this speeding up effect, this feed forward mechanism. Once you have some damage, it can continue speeding up over the course of time. And that's why we are so concerned about restoring the meniscus if it does get damaged. Okay. So, I apologize if you're listening to this on the podcast. I recommend you go to YouTube if you want to see um, some images as well as a model of the knee joint so you can see where the meniscus is and how it is potentially so important. Uh, otherwise, you can kind of skip ahead. But anyway, the image I'm showing you 
down below is going to be the top portion of the tibia. Basically, they've taken the knee joint apart, and this is the top of your shin bone or the tibia. And this would be the medial side of the joint. You can see the medial meniscus. It's like a crescent-shaped C, okay? On the other side, you have the lateral meniscus. The same thing. It's a C-shape. It's kind of like two Cs um, facing one another, okay? Or two magnets kind of facing one another, right? And this image on the left here, you have your femur bone, your thigh bone, and you have your shin bone, your tibia, and the meniscus sits right between the two. So you can kind of appreciate how important this is for stability of the joint as well as shock absorption because it sits right between the two bones. And when I jump, land, change direction, weight lift, those two bones are going to be squishing together. And meniscus sits right in that area to help to dissipate, dissipate some of the forces from doing our favorite things in the gym, right? I also have my knee joint right here. So we have our femur bone or the thigh bone and underneath of it, we have the shin, right? And this big bone right here is going to be the tibia. And then this bone right above is the patella. So if we open up the joint and I show you the inside, on the top of the tibia, we have the medial and the lateral meniscus, right? From here and here. And then we can also appreciate how there is a C-shaped meniscus that goes across both of those right here, right? So that's where it sits. Now, if I do jumping and these joints are banging together, you can see that meniscus is gonna be very, very important for low transmission. Okay, right? So the meniscus is absolutely critical to prevent more wear and tear in the joint. So how do we know this? So it's based on some research. So they have information on folks uh, long-term, right? 30, 40, 50 years, and they're looking at how much knee arthritis they have, okay? So in this, in this study, they were looking at folks that develop knee osteoarthritis over the course of 30 years. So they have a 30-year follow-up. They look at the folks that have knee osteoarthritis. And they had information on these folks 30 years prior. And the folks that had meniscus damage 30 years prior, it was more common to have knee osteoarthritis than folks that had no meniscus pathology 30 years ago, right? So 54% of the folks with knee arthritis ended up having some meniscal damage at baseline, whereas the folks that didn't have arthritis had 18% chance of having knee arthritis, okay? So if you have meniscus pathology, meniscus injury, you're more likely to have future arthritis. And they didn't look specifically at how bad the damage was. I'm guessing that if you have more pathology uh, early on, it's going to lead to more pathology, more osteoarthritis over the course of time, right? The other place you'll see osteoarthritis and meniscus injuries pop up, and hence you'll see the correlation, is after partial meniscectomy. We'll talk about this surgery a little bit more in depth in the future, but basically if they trim out part of the meniscus after you have an injury, we know that over the course of time, more degeneration of the knee occurs. So in 10-year follow-up studies, you'll see joint space narrowing after partial meniscectomy, 22% joint space na narrowing on the medial side and 38% on the lateral side. And if you follow these guys out even further, so after 20 years, you'll see a 56% osteoarthritis rate in lateral meniscectomies. Now that doesn't sound phenomenal, right? So if you get your meniscus trimmed out after you have an injury, you have a pretty you know, darn increased risk of gaining arthritis over the course of 10 or 20 years. The other piece, and we alluded to this earlier, is that the amount of resection during the meniscectomy is going to correlate with the rate of degeneration. And this kind of goes back to the idea of the feed forward mechanism. So in this study that I've, showed, I've cited, and you can check the, uh, all the citations and references in the show notes, 
Partial removal of meniscus tissue can increase peak local contact pressure within the knee joint by 65% and reduce contact area by 10%. So if I take out a little bit of meniscus, right? If I am uh, a surgeon, I take out a piece of your meniscus after an injury, and I'm going to decrease the surface area available to dissipate force. This is going to increase the local contact pressure within the joint. Okay. Another study resection of 15 to 34% of the meniscus tissue additionally enhances the load of the hyaline cartilage by up to 350%. Okay. So we talked about the knee joint earlier. I showed those two bones, how they bump together, right? And meniscus sits between the two. And if I start taking out pieces of the meniscus, I increase some of the stress on the cartilage. And if you get enough stress on the cartilage over the course of time, you can have more arthritis, potentially more knee replacements eventually, which is something we obviously want to try to avoid. Do meniscus tears heal over the course of time? And here's the thing. Some do, right? Some do, some don't. Depends on a variety of different factors. So success of meniscal healing can vary based on the patient's age. If you're a younger person, you usually have better results. And this is probably because of the risk of degenerative tears and osteoarthritis in older populations. And if you have a degenerative tear and if you have osteoarthritis, it tends not to heal quite as well. The other factor that's important for a meniscus healing is going to be the length of time since the injury. So if you have an acute meniscus tear, that's more likely to heal. If you've had a meniscus tear that's been sitting around for a while, it's less likely to heal. All right. And that makes sense. So tear types are also going to be a very important predictor of whether or not meniscus tears will heal over the course of time. And here's the thing. If you have a tear that's in an area of the meniscus that has good blood flow, then there's a chance that it heals spontaneously. So without any surgery and the other piece is that if you have a tear in an area that has good blood supply, you'll probably do better with a meniscus repair. Okay. And let's talk about these areas. So in the meniscus, we have different zones. Okay. And this is going to affect how much blood flow goes to the meniscus. So if you look at the outer rim of this meniscus depicted on the right, so I apologize podcast listeners, but we basically have a picture of a meniscus on the outer periphery of the meniscus, you have what's called the red, red zone. And that just means red, red, good blood. Okay. Think lots of blood. This area heals really well. Right next to that, a little bit more on the inside, you have what's called the red, white zone. So this has decent blood supply, but not quite as good as a red, red zone. If we get on the inside periphery, we have what's called the white, white zone. This tends not to have great blood supply. Okay. So if you have a tear in the red, red zone, it's more likely to heal. So spontaneously heal without any sort of intervention. And it's also more likely to do better after you have a meniscus repair. Okay. And that's pretty much how surgeons will make decisions on whether or not they'll repair certain areas. We have quite a bit of research to show that if you have a tear that exists in that red, red zone, it's going to do better from a surgical perspective. And if you have a tear that's strictly in that white, white zone, it's really not going to do well at all. So surgeons are less likely to do surgery if that tear extends into that white, white zone. So what types of meniscus tears can be repaired? So the common ones that tear that get repaired are vertical tears and more commonly longitudinal vertical tears. These typically occur in the red, white and white, white zones. They're usually traumatic and a common type of vertical tear that's longitudinal is a bucket handle tear. These are very common. And if you're a physical therapist, Working with meniscus pathology, you've probably seen these, and they can be repaired if they're in the red-white zone, okay? What tears typically cannot be repaired? Well, one, 
is a radial tear or a transverse tear. These typically aren't as successful because they're going to be in the white-white zone, okay? Doesn't have great blood supply. The other type of tear that tends not to do well is going to be a complex or degenerative tear. So these are often associated with osteoarthritis. We know when folks have osteoarthritis, they tend not to do as well with meniscectomies, meniscus repairs. Um, and the other piece is that uh, the tears are complex enough that they're actually pretty tough to repair. Usually they can be debrided from my experience, but they're not going to be repaired. Okay. And also the outcomes aren't very good. We'll talk about that in a bit. What factors influence success of the repair? So unfortunately, all meniscus tears can't be repaired. Okay. This is going to depend a lot on the location of the tear. Like we said, if you have a tear in the red, red or red, white zone, that's going to have a better prognosis. The other piece that's going to uh, affect your healing is going to be the timing after the tear. So an acute tear has a better chance of success. If you have a degenerative tear that's been going on for a long period of time, that has less likelihood of being a successful repair. Okay. And tears that are reconstructed within 12 weeks show a better prognosis than tears after 12 weeks. So in this same study that I'm citing, tears up to 60 months old actually had a favorable prognosis as well. Uh, so just because this tear is a little bit older doesn't mean it can't be repaired, but it's probably a bit better to repair these sooner than later, okay? And the reason being is that earlier surgery decreased the risk of failure. So similar to, let's say, a rotator cuff repair, these can re-tear over the course of time, uh, and this does happen in the meniscus, right? So if you get your surgery earlier than three months, you have a 91% success rate. If you get it after three months, you have a 58% success rate. Um, so yeah, if you have an acute tear, it probably is going to be better to get that surgery a bit earlier. So what happens if we compare meniscus repair versus meniscectomy? Okay. So in a meniscus repair, you're actually taking the meniscus and you're taking it back together and you're suturing, suturing it back up. Okay. In the meniscectomy, you're trimming pieces out. Okay. And in studies where they're looking at arthroscopic partial meniscectomy, versus meniscus repair, the meniscus repair is superior in function, return to sports, and cartilage protection, okay? The other place where it's definitely more beneficial is reducing eventual osteoarthritis, okay? We're looking for long-term health of the knee, okay? We're not looking for the short-term fix. We want this knee to last us for the rest of our lives. And part of the problem with the meniscectomy is that it's actually a bit of a home run so I talk to surgeons about this all the time and partial meniscectomy is great because you have a patient that has a bunch of knee pain, you trim out part of that meniscus and they tend to feel really good afterwards. Um, and the research is consistent with this. People that have knee pain from a meniscus tear, the meniscectomy tends to be pretty good in the short term, right? So it's often sold as a faster recovery. Okay. The problem with that is that a meniscectomy, and we'll talk about this a bit later, is going to increase your chance of osteoarthritis like we talked about before. Okay. So it's not good to tell your patients to get a meniscectomy just because they want a fast return. Okay. So proposing a meniscectomy to a young active patient with the sole pretext that recovery will be more rapid compared with repair is not acceptable despite the patient and societal pressure and medical economic constraints, right? So if you're an athlete that wants to get back to your sport quickly, sometimes a surgeon will recommend a meniscectomy, and that's probably not the right course of action for long-term health of the joint. So how about if we compare arthritis rates after a meniscus repair 
versus meniscectomy versus a general population that has no meniscus problems whatsoever. Okay. So there was a 25 to 50% lower risk of consultation for knee arthritis after a meniscus repair versus a meniscectomy. So if you get a meniscus repair, less osteoarthritis over the course of time. But here's the thing. The consultation rate for knee arthritis after repair is still two times higher compared to the general population. Okay. So if you get a meniscus repair, that's better than a meniscectomy, but it's still not as good as never having an injury in your knee in the first place. Okay. And the other thing to keep in mind, and we already talked about this, is that a percentage of meniscus repairs will fail over the course of time. I'm looking at two studies here. But in this first study, the overall failure rate of meniscal repair in a mean follow-up of 86 months, so that's 70, or excuse me, seven years, was 19%. Okay, so about a fifth of these meniscus repairs failed over the course of seven years. Another study of elite American football players, um, the reason why I chose this study is because we're looking at high-level athletics, okay, which is not the same as the average person that just wants to move weight in the gym, okay? So in a study of elite American football players found that around a quarter of meniscal repairs had failed by the five-year follow-up, okay? So getting your meniscus repaired doesn't take the risk of knee arthritis back to baseline, unfortunately, for the majority of folks. How about a meniscus repair versus meniscectomy versus physical therapy? So this was a really cool study. It was recent. I actually couldn't find the full article, unfortunately. Uh, if you're listening to this and you have access to this, I'd love to see it. So the study was early surgery or exercise and education for meniscal tears in young adults, right? And they were looking at 121 young adults, age 18 to 40 years old. The average age was 29. I really like studies like this because the bulk of people that I'm trying to work with regularly are young adults, right? 18 to 40 is, you know, you know the exact population I tend to work with, okay? They were looking at traumatic meniscus tears, okay? So this was not degenerative or complex tears. This was, I fell, twisted my knee. I was crawling, kneeling, whatever it is, and I had, let's say, a pop, swelling, went to the doctor. Yep, you have a freshly torn meniscus, okay? And these folks were all eligible for surgery. So all folks that could either get uh, repair or meniscectomy, all right? And that's what they looked at. They looked at surgery for these folks. So it's either an arthroscopic partial meniscectomy or repair or 12 weeks of physical therapy. Okay. And again, I couldn't get access to this, um, this study. So I, I couldn't see the nitty gritty of what exercise they use, but it looks like physical therapy consisted of strength and neuromuscular control exercises over the course of this study, which was 12 months long, 16 of the 121 young athletes crossed over to the surgery group. Right. And here's the thing, pain, function, and quality of life was the same at 12 months. There was no difference between groups. Right. And the thought process here is that of those 16 that cross over to the surgery group, they had this kind of wait and see approach. And this is actually pretty common in the other studies I've seen that are comparing surgery um, with physical therapy. A handful of people will cross over from the physical therapy group over to the surgical group. And it sounds like that's okay. It seems like everyone can try physical therapy, right? And if things aren't going well, you can go to the surgery group. And here's the thing. At 12 months, everyone does about the same, Okay. There are a few caveats to this though. So in this study, I had a few questions, right? So they only followed up on patients for one year, right? So the question arises, is osteoarthritis progression different in the physical therapy group following meniscal tear compared to meniscectomy 
compared to meniscus repair. So I'd love to see what the knee joint looks like 10, 20, 30 years down the line, because this study is sounding an awful lot like, hey, if you have an acute meniscus tear, you can go ahead and do physical therapy just because at the year mark, you're going to be the same as doing surgery, which sounds phenomenal, you know, to the patient. Patient's like, oh, yeah, let's let's definitely do that. But I would just really like to see what those knees look like in 10, 20, 30 years, because there's a chance that the meniscus repair does better. There's also a chance the meniscectomy does worse, right? Or maybe the physical therapy group does worse. I have no idea. Maybe the th physical therapy group outperforms all of them, okay? We have no idea. Uh, it's just that uh, I don't know if this answers all the questions we have for our patients that are trying to figure out what's best for the long-term health of the joint. And the last piece is that for those who cross over from the physical therapy group to the, the surgery group, um, did they have worse outcomes from a retear perspective? Because we talked about earlier, the longer you wait to get a meniscus repair, uh, the more likely you are to have a retear somewhere down the line. So, you know, the authors concluded that it's okay to trial physical therapy. And they also concluded that it was okay to wait until you get surgery, just because the outcomes are about the same at the one year mark. But again, we don't know what the outcomes are going to be like 10, 20, 30 years down the line. So I think a lot of this has to be taken with a grain of salt. So should your patient have a meniscectomy, right? And this is, um, you know, this is something I feel pretty strongly about because this research has been out for years. And the other piece is that um, surgeon in, in the, surgeons in the United States, especially, they love meniscectomies, right? Like I said, it's a bit of a home run surgery. And we have a bit of research to show that, um, you know, at least in the 2000s, the rate of meniscectomies are going up, 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 which is not necessarily a good thing, especially as we learn over the course of time that meniscectomies lead to more osteoarthritis over the course of time. So the British Journal of Sports Medicine 2017 Clinical Practice Guidelines uh, for Arthroscopic Surgery for Degenerative Meniscus Tears strongly recommends, recommends against arthroscopy in nearly all patients with degenerative knee disease, okay? And these are in folks with degenerative meniscus tears with or without accompanying arthritis, all right? So they say, do not get a meniscectomy, all right? And this is in patients that have mechanical systems, mechanical symptoms or without mechanical symptoms, okay? Or with or without a sudden symptom onset, all right? So here's the thought process as a physical therapist, as a surgeon, right? I'm not a surgeon, so keep that in mind, okay? So patients that have mechanical locking, the thought is, all right, the meniscus is stuck within the joint. We need to do surgery to get the meniscus to be freed up so the knee can regain its normal range of motion, right? And that kind of makes sense. Um, but we do actually have some research to show that if someone has mechanical symptoms, they can actually get better or improve over the course of time, okay? And it's funny because having been a physical therapist for about a decade now, um, I have seen several patients like this where they have an injury, seems like a meniscus injury, and over the course of time, they may have a whole lot of mechanical symptoms. So I've seen a few folks that have objective locking. So the knee gets stuck, let's say 15, 20 degrees shy of full knee extension, and they may hobble for a few days, right? Because they can't straighten out their knee, but eventually it kind of pops back into place or something happens where the meniscus gets out of the way, they regain their function and they actually make some improvement over the course of time. Okay. And this is pretty consistent with our medical literature because as a physical therapist, if, if someone comes to see me 
and they have a meniscus tear and they have mechanical symptoms, what I'm thinking is like, okay, maybe we need to get surgery because otherwise we're not going to be able to, you know, eliminate some of these mechanical symptoms. It turns out they can actually improve over the course of time. And I'm not saying that these folks shouldn't go in for a consult to a surgeon. I actually think that they should, right? And if there's a potential to get this repaired, they probably should. If they're young, it's an acute, right? But keep in mind that mechanical symptoms can actually get better just like anything else, right? So if you have a patient with a non-reparable tear, when should you consider meniscectomy, right? Well, only if absolutely needed, if you've really failed a conservative approach. And keep in mind, if you look at some of the studies, if you compare physical therapy versus meniscectomy versus even a sham surgery, we have similar results, okay? I would love to see some longer-term data, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, 30 years down the line, to see which of these is going to be superior from an osteoarthritis standpoint. But generally speaking, all of these treatments are going to have similar outcomes with the meniscectomies causing more arthritis over the course of time. Okay. And that's the reason why we don't like to have meniscectomy. So the ESCA meniscus consensus project recommends waiting at least three months to undergo meniscectomy. Okay. I would also argue that you need to make sure that the patient is not progressing, right? And they've actually done a good job of rehabilitating their knee before they go on to get meniscectomy. Okay. So with these folks, a conservative approach is best consisting of physical therapy treatment and time. We know that this is helpful for meniscus pathology. So what if your patient has a reparable meniscus tear? So I think in this case, you can consider surgery to repair the meniscus. Potentially earlier is better, so less than three months. And if you delay surgery, that seems to be okay. Although we know that your retear rate is probably going to be a little bit higher if you wait too long. Okay. The other piece is that physical therapy is definitely an option. You'll have the same results as surgery in the short term, but there really is a lack of long-term studies to see the rates of osteoarthritis over the course of time. Okay. So now you have a little bit of knowledge of what to do with these chronic tears that are not reparable and also these acute tears that are reparable. Ultimately, the decision to have meniscus surgery should be a team approach of the physical therapist, of the patient, and also a smart and trusted physician. The physician has to really understand the literature. They have to know that if you do a meniscectomy, that's going to lead to worse long-term outcomes for that knee. Okay. You also want to have a surgeon that works in the population you want to get back to. So for my patients, they generally want to get back to powerlifting, running, strength training, CrossFit. Okay. I can't tell you how many times I've had a patient that underwent some sort of meniscus procedure. And after they finished the procedure and they went to their follow-up appointment with the doc, the doc said, okay, so now that you had the surgery, you're never allowed to run again for the rest of your life. You're never allowed to squat again for the rest of your life. And here's the thing. The reason why the patient went to get the surgery is because they couldn't squat. They wanted to squat, right? Or they couldn't run and they want to get back to running. So you just have to um, find a physician that actually practices um, what the patients want to get back to and understands those demands, right? Also keep in mind, meniscectomies have been on the rise in the United States, okay? Um, and I wasn't able to find super up-to-date information on this, but at least up to 2011, meniscectomies are on the rise. And with the data that's coming out about meniscectomies, we probably should be decreasing, in my opinion, and I'm not the expert here, but we should probably be decreasing the amount of meniscectomies just because we know that more conservative treatments are as effective or more effective, right? Right. 
And that kind of brings me to the last point. You, you really want to protect your patients. You need to have a trusted surgeon that you can refer your patients to. And you want to make sure that your patients are not going to whatever surgeon that's going to say, yeah, let's trim out part of this meniscus because a meniscectomy really is kind of a home run for surgeons. Patients have knee pain. They get the meniscectomy. They're walking again. That pain is immediately gone. Uh, it's actually quite nice in the short term, but we know long term might not be the best you know, option. And lastly, I think the, the decision really should come down to the patient. This needs to be a patient-centered decision. It's up to them, okay? Uh, and here's the thing. A meniscus repair may give me my best long-term hopes of having, you know, a knee without knee arthritis, but having that surgery is also going to be, let's say, 6 to 12 months of hard work in order to get your function back. It's not going to be an easy process after you've had that uh, meniscus repair. So... I make sure that the patient has all of information. They have a smart surgeon to help them through this, and then they can make the best decision that's right for them. Ultimately, I think that's going to be what's best for our patients. So if you want to check out any of the references, I'll leave them in the show notes. I'd love to have you maybe read some of these. If you have an opportunity to get that one paper that I couldn't, uh, I'd love to see it. So maybe reach out to me in the comments if you have access to it. I think that's uh, study number eight. Um, it'll be available in the show notes, so check that out. Right. And lastly, thank you. Thank you so much for your support. You truly allow me to do what I love for a living. If you're watching this on YouTube, please give me a thumbs up. I'd love to hear your comments on meniscus rehab and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to the podcast version of this, give me a positive rating and review. Helps me tremendously. If you want to see me keep doing this in the future, please review this. Okay. And lastly, if you want to support me further, go to Fitness Pain Free, click on the programs link, click on Fitness Pain Free Insiders Online Library, subscribe to Insiders. It's only a dollar for a week. It's $12.99 um, subscription model, um, charge once per month. Uh, if, if you're really interested in one or two, you can just download those and then cancel the membership. I'll be completely fine with that. Uh, but it really is a no-brainer if you want to take your education to the next level with me. All right. Thank you guys again, and I'll see you on the next one.